Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm your host, Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Eric Devin and Football Radar's Adam White. The new Ligue 1 season kicked off on Friday evening, and they started with a bang, as we saw 26 goals in 10 games, with some teams providing proving sorry their season hype, while others slumped under great expectations. But before we talk all about the action at the weekend... Here are the latest headlines. Paris Saint-Germain started the Ligue 1 season off with a gritty win away to Bastia, needing 71 minutes to score against the hosts as Levin Kozawa turned in a rebound from a shot by Hesse to provide the 1-0 margin. Also on Friday evening, Monaco hosted Gangomp, and thanks to a cracking strike from Mustafa Diallo and another by Sloan Privat, the visitors took a 2-0 lead. Monaco battled, battled back courtesy of a Bernardo Silva. The diminutive Portuguese won a penalty converted by Fabinho, and the scoring defle the deflected equaliser six minutes from time as the match finishes 2-2. Saturday's early match saw a battle between two European hopefuls as injury hit Saint-Étienne visited Bordeaux. New manager Jocelyn Gorvenek's young side earning a 3-2 win in a sloppy but entertaining match. In the multiplex, René Girard's debut as not manager saw Le Canary play with an attacking verve not often seen under their former manager. And while they might rue some mischances, Nicola Thomas Thompson's diving header early in the second half was enough to see a, a victory away at Dijon. Colm, meanwhile, beat 10-man Lorient at home 3-2. New signing Ivan Santini notching a brace on his debut to cancel out two goals from Le Merlu's Benjamin Mukanjo. Montpellier extracted revenge on Angers for last season's loss, coming out on top at the Stade Mousson, as the two teams met for the second season running in the opening match. We had Boudibou's superb solo effort, the difference in a 1-0 victory. Mets, though, picked up the surprise result of the weekend as they won 3-2 at home over Lille, with braces from both Lille's Ronnie Lopez and their hosts Mevla Erding, before a late penalty converted by Jan Jufra provided the final margin. Sunday's matches were a little less lively. Leon never really got got beyond cruise control as Alexandre Lacazette's hat-trick powered the visitors to a 3-0 win at Nancy. A sombre match in remembrance of the victims of last month's terrorist attacks saw host Nice under new manager Lucien Favre spoil the debut of Ren manager Christian Gorkouf, a set-piece goal by youngster Malang Saar, the difference in a win. Marseille hosted Toulouse in the weekend's final match, and it was much of the same at the Velodrome. The visitors always looking the more likely as the theme of dropped points at home continued in a scoreless draw. In Ligue 2, Le Havre missed a chance to pull clear at the top in a one-all draw at Gazelle Ajaxio, joining Brest, Sochaux and promoter Strasbourg on seven points at the top of the division. In injury news, Paris Saint-Germain's Hesse is out for a month with appendicitis, while Lyon revealed a surprise major investment in the team by a Chinese group. And that's all for the news for now, but remember, if you want to keep up to date with everything to do with French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. 
We start this evening with the champions who kicked off everything off on Friday evening in Bastia. The game wasn't the only thing that kicked off, and we will get to chat about that later on. But Adam, what do you think of PSG's performance? It was interesting. It's it's difficult to say how how Emery is going to sort of affect that team. I've been thinking a lot as if it's going to be radical. Is there going to be a huge difference between Blanc's PSG and Emery's PSG? But I felt like it was kind of evolution rather than revolution. Obviously, it's only the first game in which uh, he's taken charge competitively, so it's not like he's going to be changing things overnight. Despite having a free season, it's going to be it's going to be sort of over over the course of the next few months. He's going to sort of mould that team, but. I think the, the, one of the main things I noticed a lot more is that they they kept the ball on the ground a lot more. They tried to play their way out of trouble as Brest as as, as Bastia sorry pressed them quite a lot, especially in fullback areas and defensive areas. They they played the way out of trouble most of the time quite nicely. Um, but overall, it was kind of the the classic PSG league and performance in that they're playing a team either at home or away who sat in were looking for to hit them on the counter attack to defend. And they had to pick them off and break them down. And I thought when Hesse came on, um, his sort of verve kind of uh, changed the game a little bit, created the opening for Kazawa's goal. And it felt a little bit like the, the standard PSG performance. But is there anywhere else they can really go from that? I don't know if Emery's going to be the person to, to, to change them so much that they're, they're tearing those teams apart all the time when they, when they sit so deep. So I think it's a good start, but um, I think there's a lot more to come from them. Eric, they picked a very similar side to they had. Uh, the weekend before in the Trophy de Champions, but uh, one person I wanted to mention is Adrian Rabio, who got the nod ahead of of Blaise Matuidi and Marco Verratti, who began the game on the bench. What did you think to his performance? Oh, I thought I thought Rabio was fantastic. I think that uh, his movement, his energy, his uh, ability to run with the ball at his feet and drive from midfield, uh, I think gave a lot of impetus to PSG's attack. I think that. Uh, he also provides adequate cover uh, for for Thiago Mata. Again, this is a player who's about to be 34 and has had an excellent career, but let's face it, isn't the fleetest of foot. And uh, with the pace of the likes of Diallo and Saint Maximin on the wings, it was definitely necessary to have somebody who was willing to break up play and 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 also to not to be physical enough to help battle with uh, the likes of Enzo Crivelli. Uh, so yeah, a fantastic match for Rabio. I mean. Let's face it, the sort of up-tempo, energetic style that Unai Emery plays means that rotation is going to be necessary. And if he does adhere to this 4-2-3-1, um, this just gives him an, another option. So you've got Krakowiak, you've got Verratti, you've got Rabio, um, and I, th- I think you know, you'd, you'll have to look at Emery adapting a situation in terms of who starts uh, based on you know the the magnitude of a given match or uh, how a, an opponent might set up as to which one of those players might be uh, more appropriate to play at a given time. I think that we can look at uh, Verratti having had a positive impact on the match when he came on, but as he sort of wins his way back into fitness, uh, I think that starting Rabiot, uh, at least for the next few matches, uh, alongside either Mata or Krakowiak, probably makes the most sense. A really impressive performance in the youngster. Yes, especially played behind, in front of the two players that are very much more senior than him. Uh, Adam, you briefly mentioned Hesse's performance there um, earlier, that, and when he came on, he added that extra verve to them. I wanted to talk about Hatem Benarfa and in that false nine role that he, he kind of operated in. He, he struggled to really get into the game, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, I think he did. Um, it's interesting like how the Benarfa situation is going to evolve at PSG, because obviously he was incredibly good at, at Nice last season, like tore up the league. He was amazing, but 
whether he can make that transition from being the big fish in the small pond to just one of many one of many very similar sort of players or very similar level. I mean, you know, people like Lucas Moura and Hesse, they're all on par, if you like. I, I'm not sure he's going to be a success. The more I watch PSG in preseason, the Trophy de Champion, and, and yesterday, I feel like perhaps he's trying a little bit too hard. Perhaps he, he's been a little bit wayward, overhit passes, and he doesn't necessarily look like he's going to have the same effect that on the league as he had at Nice. Obviously, in that squad, he's not going to be as important just because they've got better players, but... I'm a little bit worried that the Ben Arthur that we're seeing is tending towards the Premier League, Newcastle, Hull Ben Arthur than it is the Nice one. Obviously, he's still a great player. Still, obviously, got fantastic talent, and and he will still, you know, he will still have moments of brilliance this season. But I think Emery said he doesn't want to play him wide. Obviously, he played potentially for Nice, so it makes sense to play potentially for PSG as well. It's the same league, but in the way that they play, you would have expected him to be moved out wide relatively soon. But he said he doesn't really he doesn't really fancy him in terms of his defensive coverage. And I don't know if a false nine role really suits his style of play. I think he wants perhaps a little more of the game in front of him to affect it a little bit more. So I liked him at sort of attacking midfield and they played him in there in preseason a, a little bit. That makes a little bit more sense. But I think he's a bit stranded. I'm not sure he's that he's that type of player that you want to play as your sort of furthest man forward. I don't know if he's got the the nous the sort to to, to to play that position, but It'll be interesting to see how it develops. But I mean, will he last in the first eleven? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure he will. Yeah, and it'll be interesting now. Hesse's out for a month with that appendicitis, and Cavani's still maybe out for another couple of weeks. So we'll see how that situation develops as it carries mm. on. But we, we, I briefly touched on it, Eric, in the, in the intro that there was there was a strange incident with the, with the crowd in the second half mm. and, and Lucas, and it and it turned into a very strange debate on Twitter. If you've not seen it, I would go and search it, Lucas. By uh, what seems like a, a almost like a bamboo stick, uh, mm. very, uh, let's say, one, and it and it strikes him on the head as he's about to take a corner. Now, Basti's own Twitter feed um, placed a thing where they believed Lucas had dived. Now, there's a there's a camera angle where it looks unconvincing of where um, whether it hits Lucas or not, and then later on in the evening there was another angle shown, and it clearly shows him being struck by this this. Um, uh, I'll say bamboo stick. It's not that thick, but uh, this kind of instrument. What would you? What did you think to that, Eric? It was a very strange moment, and it held the game up for a bit. And then the reaction afterwards was peculiar from a football club. Yeah, I, you know, we we like to talk about the fiery character that football has tends to have in Corsica, but I think on the occasion this was, you know, very unbecoming of a professional club. I, I think that regardless of what Lucas was actually hit, I think he was hit. I watched the match. It. it Seeing it in in real time and seeing it in replay, there's no doubt to me that he is he's struck by an object. Uh, you know, I I know Lucas as a player, you know, as as on a, on occasion had the reputation for diving during on the field of play, but you know, there was also a, an immediate reaction from the crowd if you watch to identify the person who who had done this, uh, and that to me speaks speaks volumes to the fact that he was actually struck by an object. Uh, Bastard's response, you know, they they released a, a statement today that uh, they're 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 calling it quote unquote uh, ridiculous. They continue to refer to, to Lucas's act as simulation. This is again on Bastard's official website. Uh, you know, I, I appreciate the atmosphere at the Furiani. I, I appreciate that you watch a match that's being uh, broadcast from there, uh, but. You know the issues that this club have had. You know, 
it can't come at at the expense of players. Uh, even if there is a certain level of animosity between PSG and Bastia, uh, dating back to the the Coupe de la Ligue in um, 2015, there's still no excuses for this this sort of behavior. Um, I, I mean, they I think uh, I'm just reading this piece on their website right now, and they they go through different examples that uh, of how they feel they're being pr- uh, targeted. It is <laughs> really. I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't be laughing, but it's really... Islanders mentality, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the club thems- I, you know, I can't imagine, you know, a, a club uh, of the level of Marseille or, or someone else doing that. I'm not saying that Bastia have a, a small-time mentality, but I think, you know, to have a club take an official response in this is, is really disturbing. You might see someone like Vincent Lebrun or Jean-Michel Olas, you know, make some comments about fan trouble following Marseille-Lyon last year, for example, but you're not... For the club itself to make this sort of statement rather than an individual, I, I think is is pretty disturbing. And, you know, I think that Bastia should be facing some sort of sanctions, if not for the behavior of, of the fans, then... Uh, for their own response to this, yeah, it's, it's a, it was a very peculiar situation that arised, and the, and the video they've shown is not convincing at all. And the second angle is absolutely certain. You can see the object hit him and vibrate after it's hit him, and everything like that. It's it's un, it's uncompromisingly convincing, and they still seem to proceed on on their way. But let's concentrate on on Bastia on the field, Adam, and and they put up a decent performance, especially. Excuse me. In the first half, what did you think to them? Yeah, I thought they looked they looked good. Bastia are a team that, in in footballing terms anyway, that I've, I've always sort of appreciated because every season I start thinking, looking at the relegation candidates, and I think, oh, Bastia could be in trouble. But then I remember how good they are at home and how how many results they get there. What a fortress what their home ground is. So I think with Crivelli up front, Alan Alison Maxim was was uh, was brilliant in the, in the first half. Pace taking on his man, um, causing a lot of danger. I think perhaps Cavelli was played to try and bully Kandembe a little bit, which didn't necessarily work, but he's a player that I'm surprised Bordeaux didn't hold on to uh, this season because they've obviously sent him out on loan. Because, um, you know, I think, I think he's a good player. I think he could develop into a really good player and he's, he scores different types of goals when he, when he, gets, when he gets the opportunity and um, I think he's going to be great for Bastia. But as, 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 as a sort, I think they'll follow the standard Bastia narrative in that they, they'll be terrible away from home, but they'll get enough wins at home to finish sort of 13th, 14th, like low and mid-table. And they look good. They look, they look like, they look like they, they're going to cause some people some upsets on Corsica this, this, uh, this season, especially with the... I love Kawasaki. He's, he's fantastic. He's just so combative. Everything, everything annoys him. He's always looking to sort of get into some sort of war with his direct opponent, and they're that that they got that kind of as you mentioned, they're that kind of team, and perhaps even that kind of club that they there's a siege mentality there, and it works for them. So I think they'll be I think they'll be fine again this season, and perhaps Cavalli can get get a few goals and go back to Bordeaux, an improved player. Yeah, I was really impressed by Kalzak at, at the weekend. I thought he had a really good game, and their defence mm. was really solid as well, especially against what we know is a very exciting PSG attack. And and you've already mentioned him, Alexander uh, Saint Maximan had an excellent game. I mean, we've not seen him play. I don't think I've seen him play that level since maybe one of the appearances back at Saint Etienne. But it, it's mm. great to see him back in league after uh, a disappointing spell at Hanover, where they barely played him and. 
hopefully he can kick on to the next level and, and hopefully be a part of that Monaco side in a couple of years. But we'll we'll move on to another team keen to show their strength on opening uh, weekend, and that was Lyon, who never really have to... Sh- you mentioned it in the news that they didn't have to shift out of first gear against new, newly promoted uh, Nancy as they won 3-0, uh, which included a hat-trick from none other than Alexandre Lacazette. Eric, what did you think to Bruno Genesio's side in that one? Uh, you know, again, I watched the match, did it, covered it for our match zone. It's at GFFN match zone. We try and get over most of the matches over a given weekend. Uh, but to start out with, uh, the match was being played uh, um, during the heat of the day, so there were a couple of cooling breaks. Before the first cooling break, uh, Leon really did not look that that impressive. Uh, Anthony Robic and uh, Anthony Cura were looking they were giving the back line quite a bit of problems, uh, and it frankly made me nervous because Leon weren't really creating any any solid openings, but, you know, after the, the cooling break return, Leon looked suitably G'd up, and Lacazette just had some really lovely finishes. Um, Nabil Fekir, you know, still not at his best, um, but showed a lot of drive and movement, uh, some good good interplay with Raphael, and... Uh, you know, and likewise, Maxwell Cornet. Uh, you know, both these players are really adept at running with the ball at their feet and creating space and stretching play for uh, for Lacazette. And uh, gone alone was superb in, in front of the defense. Uh, and the center back pairing really seemed to grow grow into the match as well. Um, I think that that's something that the, that's something again in particular the center back pairing uh, that they're going to have to kind of build on. And we had uh, in Samuel MTT a really remarkable uh, center back uh, who, as someone who could go with the ball at his feet and and, and deliver long passes. Uh, neither Nkulu or Yanga Mbiwa is really that sort of player, so there's going to be, uh, despite their considerable achievements, having both been you know uh, senior internationals uh, for their respective countries uh, at different points in their career, winning titles, <clears throat> but there's there's going to be a necessary level of adjustment as the team move on from the departure of Mtiti and the way that he could give dynamism from central defense. Uh, and as these as these two players uh, develop a rapport with each other, I think that uh, Leon's defense will continue to improve, and there will be there'll be less nervy moments, as it were. I think that there were a couple shots that Nancy had that with some better finishing uh, could have taken the lead. Yeah. Uh, so. Sorry, carry on, Eric. Oh me. no, that that's just what I would say. That I I think if the defense can continue to improve, I mean they'll have uh, I, what I think is a very stern test on Friday against Caen. Um, then I think Leon can, you know, are are looking pretty good at this point in the season. I mean, again, they really didn't have to make too much of an effort to score three goals, and you know, unless somebody puts in a, a stunning bid for for Lacazette to take him away, um, they're they're looking quite a bit better than they were. Uh, last Monday after the Trophée des Champions. Yeah, and it was a very hot day, and on that 4G pitch, it was, it was a kind of peculiar game, especially in those 30, first 30 minutes. But you've already mentioned him, Eric, and, and that's the man, Alexandre Lacazette, and he's been linked here, there, and everywhere, especially at, at Arsenal, Adam. Um, he's mentioned this week that um, on Canal Plus he was interviewed, and he said, if an offer comes in that I cannot refu- that one cannot refuse... I don't want to refuse them. If not, I'm happy at Leon. He was then asked if the um, if he had received any offers since the one rejected at Arsenal uh, last month. He said, "Ask the president," and they said um, his reply they rejected it. And he said, "If the president says I'm not going anywhere, I'm not going anywhere." So he's keeping his cards close to the chest. Shall we say that nicely? Do you think he'll be still there at the end of the window? 
Adam. It's, de- it's definitely it's definitely mixed messages a little bit, isn't it? From from Lacazette, that I think from his point of view, if someone like if, if if like a really massive club came in, if someone like Barcelona have been looking for a forward perhaps to complement their front three, if someone like Real Madrid, if someone one of those really Barcelona, he couldn't say no, and, and I don't think Leon could could refuse either if they're getting bids of forty million plus. But I think it's only like Arsenal's a different a different kettle of fish entirely. I mean, would he want to play in the Premier League? Yes, I think he, I think he would, but. Are Arsenal the right club to go to at the moment? Is 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 Arsenal even a step up from Leon? I'm not sure that they are, to be honest. It might be. Well, obviously, there's obviously other factors in terms of uh, just playing in the Premier League or just wages as well. I imagine Arsenal could could offer him a lot more money, and, and that might be something that's a factor. But I think I have a feeling he'll stay. I think Olaf might might stick to his guns and and keep refusing these massive offers from West Ham and, and from from Arsenal. Um, as as long as he can, because I think he's from his point of view, he can make the case that Leon is a better place to be than Arsenal at the moment. Given their group stage of the Champions League, obviously Arsenal as well. But he's going to have that for this season at least. He's on form. Fakir's back in the side. They they could cause some waves in the Champions League and make it make it out of the group possibly. Whereas Arsenal, there's it's it's becoming a more sort of toxic atmosphere at the Emirates at the moment with the, the, with the sort of the, the 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 two sides of the fan base. Wenger out and Wenger should stay. Um, no signings really, but from Jacker in the summer, they haven't addressed any of their issues. They, they, they seem like they're going to find the same Arsenal kind of narrative, and they'll get to February and have three really important games in a row, and in three different competitions, and I'll lose all three of them probably. Um, but it, 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 it's, it's, it's a close call between the two, and I think unless a, a maybe a, a bigger club came in for him, I think Olas would refuse, and, and Lacazette would be okay with that. And I, th- I think he will stay. Yeah, prepare for those Arsenal fans to come after you, Adam, if you call yeah. them. The clubs are bigger than them, I think. But Eric, I wanted to talk to you about this one as well. Um, it's, it, it, will be a, it would be a massive three, really, if, to tempt Lacazette away. It would have to be that €50 million. Euros. Can you see a team paying that, really, before the, the, the transfer window closes? Well, uh, no. Uh, I'll tell you why. Because if Lacazette can have a season like he had two seasons ago and score 27 goals, maybe not that, that amount again, but 20 or 25 goals and, and look good doing it. Let's face it, he had 20 goals last season, but especially towards the back end of the season, the quality of those goals wasn't as high as it was uh, when he was playing with Fakir two seasons ago. Now that he's got Fakir back, he's got another season of development and growth from the likes of Dardar, Corne, Tolisso. Um, I think that we could see Lacazette <clears throat> really stake his claim to be the best player in Liga. Now, if that happens, and I, I do believe that will be the case, uh, Lacazette can also have a, le- a higher level of success in the Champions League. I think we could be talking a fee that's more 70, 80 million euros next summer uh, should Leon hold on to him and his value, continue to develop, his de- value continue to develop in a positive manner. I mean, let's face it, he 2015-16 versus 2014-15, uh, last season I-, I think showed a little bit of a drop-off in form, and, and yes, the tactical switch and managerial switch were a factor in that, but the fact remains that the money that's being offered for Lacazette now, uh, because of the money that's continually coming into the Premier League, is much higher. And <clears throat> if the Premier League or you know Barcelona, Real Madrid, one of those clubs is is a destination for Lacazette, that fee's only going to go up, you know, barring a catastrophic injury. Uh, so I, I think that we've seen Olas, you know, really stick to his guns over a lot of players. Michael Essien and Karim Benzema are the best examples in terms of getting the fee that he wants, um, and. I, I think the club will hold on for another season, and given their past history, and, and sell and sell Lacazette uh, next summer. Uh, 
and for you know a fee that's perhaps forty to fifty percent greater than what's being bandied about now. Yeah, if, if I'm Arsenal, I'm on the I'm on the phone tomorrow and paying that amount and getting to the door. But but I'm not Arsene Wenger and he's not that uh, excitable, should we say? Uh, let, let's talk about the the depth of this squad, Adam. Really, it, it, Leon, because they struggled at times when players were injured last season, especially in that, <clears throat> that midway point. With Fekir coming back, with a couple of extra signings, do they look deep enough to possibly challenge PSG this season? I th- I think they are they are good enough to challenge PSG. Whether they're deep enough is another question. I think we saw when Leicester won the league last year in the Premier League that they got through the most of the season without any injuries to their major players. I think if Leon are going to challenge this season, that they're going to need to do something similar. Obviously, it's a lot of luck involved there. But the return of Nabil Fakir, if he can hit the form he did um, in the previous season when when he was really when he was really brilliant, I often say to to my friends that like, if you sign someone from Leon, you sign Fakir. Because he's, he's such a good player. If they can, if they can retain that partnership, then his his inclusion in the side, Lacazette staying fit, both of them staying fit, keeping Gonzalez and Tolisso fit, um, then yes, they can challenge PSG. But whether they've got the depth, if their players, if those four players get injured, Lissandro Lopez as well. Uh, sorry, Antonio Lopez as well. Well, Lissandro Lopez is going back a bit. Um, then perhaps. They don't have the depth of squad to, to, to maintain a challenge on both European and domestic fronts. I know they've got people like Valbrena, Corne, Gazal, they're good players, but I don't know if they're league and they're not the type of players that are going to take you to a league and victory. Whereas I think Lacazette and Fakir, potentially, if things go their way, they could definitely challenge, but they don't have the players to replace them, and it'll be a struggle if, if either one of them gets injured, as, as we saw last season with Fakir. That was a big factor in their in their poor season. Obviously, other factors as well with Fournier's demise, but even so, I think they need to keep their best players fit. If they do, Emery, New League, PSG, perhaps, I think PSG will be better in Europe, but worse in Ligue 1. Perhaps it, it could be close coming into the season. So keep people, keep players fit, and, and they'll, be, they'll be there or thereabouts, but Without them, they struggle. Just a brief word on Nancy in that game, Eric. It's their first game back in Ligue 1, obviously, after a couple of seasons away. It's They'll have easier games, we'll say that for starters, but they weren't completely convincing of, of really um, threat of creating a threat in the opposition uh, half, were they? No, I think that Anthony Cora showed a, a lot of good moments in the first half, but really disappeared as the match wore on. Uh, Junior Dale was rightly replaced at halftime by Christoph Mandan. Anthony Robic uh, gave uh, Jeremy Morella a fair bit of trouble as well. Um, and so, I mean, there's potential there in, in, in the forward line, and they've got a nice combative midfield with Serge Nguessan and Yusef Aitbenesser. Um, um, so, again, you know, I think they were the team that uh, people had looked at as being probably worse than Dijon, but better than Metz. Um, and I think that, again, they played a much higher caliber of opponent than did uh, either Metz and, and uh, uh, sorry, Metz and, and uh, Dijon at, or Metz and Dijon at the weekend, uh, and, and the results shows that. But I think that, like the other two promoted teams, they're not going to be a Trois or an R11 Young that we've seen in the past few years and just get buried. I think there's, there's certainly enough there, uh, an aggressive midfield, uh, decent attacking players uh, that that they should be, you know, again, relegation is still certainly a possibility, maybe even a likelihood, but it'd be somewhere along the lines of a, say, Gazlik getting relegated. So some, it's something that's not decided until the final week or two, rather than just being buried 
uh, at the foot of the table. Yeah, and and let's see them next week when they possibly have a, a maybe an easier game. But from one reported Arsenal target that we've already mentioned in Lacazette to another that we have some information on coming in from the GFFN news desk this evening on the future of Leicester City attacker Riyad Mahrez. Um, according to sources, sources contacted by GFFN, the Algerian internationals camp are increasingly pessimistic about to move away from the Foxes this summer, despite his continued desire to join an established member of the European elite. Arsenal had been at least uh, have had at least one non-written offer rejected by Leicester for the player this summer, and remain in touch with the player's entourage, but do not appear ready to make the sort of offer of around the £50 million mark that would give Riyad Mahrez a feasible reason to, bu- uh, to bust his previous promise of not forcing a move away. Chelsea have also tried and failed in the recent weeks as well, and time is running out for both clubs, and as and Leicester are not budging for now. So we'll keep an eye on that. That's some interesting news for the for the Algerian and the Premier League. But we move on now to our League 1 medley, which is a, a new section for the show, where with the other eight games, obviously, of the weekend, we'll touch base on each of them as we take turns in talking briefly about each encounter. So I'll start with you, Eric, and Nantes' win at Dijon. Yeah, what a great match. I mean, I think on paper, you know, we would not have picked not given their recent history under Michel Deshikarian and given the managerial reputation of René Girard for being overly defensive manager as this being an exciting open match, but it really was. Uh, not looked to have done really well in the transfer window. Um, the signs of Lucas Lima at left back looks great. Um, Nikolai Thompson obviously scored the goal, great diving header, uh, but... Not only not only those two, but the return of Valentin Rangier and the promotion of Amin Ari. Uh, I, I think that Nantes showed a great dynamism in midfield, a lot of movement, uh, a lot of players really operating in full in freer roles, uh, with uh, Guillaume Gia protecting the defense. Um, also, the new center back Diego Carlos looked pretty good. He's got a, enough energy and motor to help protect the slower Viscarando. Um, I'm not going to anoint not a, a uh, a European contender, but it's really, really great. You know, I have a soft spot for not. You, know, you see a match at the Beaujolais, the atmosphere there looks fantastic. Um, and to see them playing with a exciting attacking style um, and to give a chance to, to some of these younger players uh, and, and new arrivals right off the bat uh, is a great credit to René Girard. I, I think that he's got a good chance here to make make things make a make a positive uh, recalibration of his image after especially after the way his team has generally played at Lille. Uh, Dijon, yeah, you know, also had their chances as well. I mean, not are, again well known for being a defensively solid team and they and they were that again. Uh, but there was a there were a couple good saves from Remy Ryu, the not goalkeeper. Um, I think that, you know, Dijon certainly had the tools that we've we've talked about uh, in the past couple couple of weeks to to again Probably be the best of the three three promoted teams. Florent Balmain had a, had a pretty good match playing balls over the top. Um, Samaritano and, and Amalfitano, good movement, good attack. Samaritano, you know, people have called him the the poor man's Matthew Valbuena, and uh, I think he lived up to that. Uh, had a couple of really great moves cutting inside, and uh, the defense looks pretty solid as well. Um, so you know, a, a pretty entertaining and, and, and open match. I was really pleased that this was the match. Uh, that I, I chose to watch, and so uh, you know, more power to both these teams that they can um, sort of resurrect their reputations, as it were, 
in terms of being an enjoyable watch for the neutral. Uh, I'll move on to you, Adam, and an interesting game that we, we pinpointed on the preview show as possibly being a, a cracker, and it was in, in Bordeaux and Saint-Étienne. Yeah, it really was. It was a fantastic game. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I'm, I'm so excited about Bordeaux this season. After last season's sort of dismal run of going out of the Europa League pretty limply and all their injuries and Sanyol sacking, which is unfortunate, but I think necessary at the time, um, they look so exciting this season. And considering they didn't start with, with Menez or Unas or Camano, and they was or Tulalan, of course, who was suspended. They they were brilliant um, going forward. I thought Malcolm had a great game. I think his this is a season for him. Bearing in mind he came in in the in the winter and was sort of easing his way a little bit. Obviously moving from Brazil as a as a twenty year old to, to to France is a big change. He's going to take a while to settle in. But now he's had that half season under his belt. I think he could be a really exciting player this season. I thought he had some great moments. In that game with him and Unas and Jerry Menez behind Diego Rolon, possibly that's a really exciting front four, and and they, they proved that they could they could play with in a sort of attacking verve in in this game, which I think Gorvanek will at least try in spells to to, to sort of to, to for that team to sort of coalesce like that. So I, I I thought they they dominated for long stretches and and Sanetien with the with the standard Sanetien performance um, with Gautier's very pragmatic style and. Uh, that their three in midfield didn't really get their teeth into the game, didn't really get forward to support support Robert Beric. Um and I was actually really impressed with, with Gaetan on the board for for for, uh, for 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 Bordeaux as well. I thought his header was brilliant, um, and they looked like a really exciting proposition. They let them; they were sloppy, as you mentioned in the build-up. It was a sloppy game overall, and once they got that three 0 lead, Sanetian did fight their way back in, and and towards the end, it was it was very exciting. They could have. Got, got a sort of an undeserved draw, in my opinion. I, I, I don't even know where their two goals came from. I'm not sure they were worth those two goals. But um, Muma was disappointing. Tanan, although you know he shows flashes of skill, I don't know if his end product is probably an issue with him. And that was probably shown at the weekend a little bit. But great performance from from Bordeaux for an hour or so. And uh, hopefully they can maintain the consistency going forward. Sinetien, I've said it all before on the preview show we do on Thursdays, but... I fear for them, and I fear for Galtier a little bit this season. So hopefully that when when they come to the, this weekend's fixture, they can they can turn it around a little bit, and that forward line needs to needs to be far more effective and has needs to have far more support than they got in this game. But an, an exciting game, one of three three twos, and uh, it was great to see the goals going in. Bordeaux Bordeaux were good. They should be exciting this year. Yeah, and and another team we'll move on to that that but should be challenging in those European spots is Monaco as they hosted Gangomp on Friday evening. And it was a peculiar game in all honesty because Monaco started really slowly and allowed Gangomp into the game. And they, and they were great in the first half, I thought. Um, you, you should search out Mustafa Diallo's strike. It's an absolute corker. And Coco, it, he puts a ball across and it, it takes a slight defection and it lifts up slightly just in front of him. He allows it to bounce and he absolutely smashes into the top corner. It's a great finish. And it, that sort of shell-shocked Monaco because Gangon were really in the ascendancy again and it was it was down that right-hand side that came again. And it's a, again, you should see the goal for Priva and, and uh, Doe, the centre midfielder, he starts it off by making a great challenge in the middle, does a storming run, plays it to Coco, plays it back to him. And he puts a wonderful ball into the back post for Privat. It's an absolutely superb goal. And then you're thinking that this is Gamgomps to lose, and they do because of that man that we always mention, and that's Bernardo Silva. He came on and completely changed the game. It was because of an, an injury, unfortunately, to uh, Kylian Mbappe um, that he came on so early in about the half-hour mark. But he 
completely changed the complexion of this game. He got maybe a lucky a lucky goal for the for the equaliser, and the penalty is definitely a penalty against him. He he earns it by by being tripped. And I, I was thinking this during the game that they cannot they cannot afford to not play him in midweek against Villarreal. They've got a, a real chance in that game with them a little bit turned upside down with uh, with Marcelino offering his resignation and leaving the club. Uh, last week, it, it, they're a little up in the air, and we we said that that might be a side they'd struggle against. But that's a real opportunity that Monaco need to take, for, especially with French football where they are. But we'll we'll move on now to another interesting game in league, and that was um, the one in uh, Caen, and another three-two Eric against Lorient. Yeah, I mean, what a performance from Caen! I, I think that we had talked to earlier about myself. You know, I'll, I'll you know. I'll hold up my hand. I had quite a few doubts about Khan's ability to attack, the loss of any Delore and the physicality and energy that he brings to the center forward role in that 4-1-4-1. The aging of Nicolas Seur, but uh, Patrice Garand shuffled things around. He moved Damien De Silva forward from central defense into defensive midfielder role. Uh, De Silva had played there uh, at, 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 at youth levels, and... Uh, I think looked looked pretty comfortable in that role. Uh, and Santini, wow, you know he's got the physicality, the energy, the effort. Uh, you know he's not quite the as refined a tackler as uh, as is. Pardon me, as is. Um, Delore, is it? Yes, as is Delore. My apologies, uh, but I, you know, I, I think on the whole it was a, a pretty. Uh, a pretty impressive effort from Khan. They showed a real ability to to have continuity with that system and and look great. I mean, obviously they're benefiting somewhat from uh, the dismissal of Torre and and they looked sort of at sixes and sevens. Uh, but I think that the confidence they're going to gain from coming behind uh, is something that's really important for them going forward. And they know that they can play this system even with the losses of key personnel. Uh, I think will make them again. You know, certainly not the relegation candidate that I was I was thinking of last week. I certainly did not give Collins transfer team enough credit. Uh, Lorient, uh, I think you know they should take enough positives from the way that the first half hour played out prior to uh, Torres dismissal. Um, suck that up and and know that they're doing the right thing and they're going to be uh, a fun team to watch going forward. But you know, are probably going to score 55 goals and concede 56. Another mid-table season for them, I, I would have to guess. Yeah, it was a, it was a strange one for Lorient and a, and, a, and a poorly timed red card that really derailed them. But Adam, and maybe a surprise result of the, uh, at the weekend of Montpellier's win against Angers. I mean, we expected Angers to be pretty good this season. Yeah, it was interesting because uh, this was the game that they that started off Angers' run last season away at Montpellier, where they they turn up on the on the first day. No one really expected too much of them. And uh, they they went on one two nil, which Hakon Doy with, with was brilliant on that on that day. Um, I think Angers are an interesting proposition. I, I I love covering them. They're one of my one of my one of my favourite teams just because they sort of come from nowhere. Um, and they did really well last season by signing like League Two players. They sort of picked off the best players that they saw anyway from from League Two. And they've kind of done a similar thing this season with with uh, Santa Maria coming in and De Hedo obviously coming in as, as top scorer in League Two last season. Um, uh, Toko Akambi as well coming in from Sochaux. And I think they're perhaps a little bit reliant on on how those players are going to perform. The Hadrian being the key one, obviously making it through last season as a top scorer with 21 goals in, in League Two is fantastic. But they, that's the type of player that 
that uh, Angers are looking for. They need the goals. They they managed to get to they managed to do what they did last season, but without a striker. They they with the whole season they played Billy Akekum from Phony up front, Sunu wide. Dora got injured very early in the season. That they were looking for those goals, and I think uh, the early signs aren't great in terms of that changing this season. I don't know if De Hedu was 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 the, the force they were hoping he was going to be. Bearing in mind his form trailed off at Clermont last season quite. Quite, quite, quite a lot towards the end of the year. So I think the jury is very much still out on Angers, but they still, play, they still played relatively well. There just wasn't that cutting edge. I think the difference in that game between the two sides was was uh, was Riyad Budaboos. He was uh, it was brilliant. He's, as you mentioned in the book, Nathan, his his goal was fantastic. He he sort of he dominated the game. He stood out in in pretty every exchange, and he was by far the best player on the pitch. He just looked so so calm, so sort of skillful. That sort of Kind of almost languid, but sort of, um, sort of silky kind of style he's got, where he's, he sort of flicks the ball out to his foot. That back heel he he did in the first half, and um, without him, Montpellier would would be a far worse team, I think. And they better be hoping that they can keep hold of him um, it, before the September the second, or the end of the transfer window. Without him, they they'd be they'd be in trouble, I think. But I thought it was a decent game, and Montpellier, based on based on Budaboo's performance, probably deserved to win it. But Angers. They'll be relatively pleased with how it went, despite the defeat. Like, they didn't look out. They didn't look like they, their level had dropped too much from last season, and I think they'll be okay this year. But it's just whether they can get the best out of Santa Maria and Dehedu and and keep Doy on on form. Obviously, the the loss of Saïs and Mangani was was huge for this game. Both injured, um, and when they come back in, they'll have far more control over the midfield. But then that doesn't really solve the goal issue. So, I think that the jury's still out. They'll be okay, but whether they can. Um, replicate last season's form is very much open open for debate yeah and, and do check out that Budaboo's goal it's an excellent finish it's it's mm. very it reminded me a little bit of Sadio Mane's goal at the sort of weekend where it's sort of a flat well hit stru- strike from from a, a left foot cutting in but it's a superb goal but we'll move on to Mets Lille which was a really entertaining game in the second half really it was a bit of a struggle for for the promoted side in the first half. They they really struggled to string together opportunities that they could get Mevla Erding into the game or or the attacking players really into advanced positions. And Lille took advantage of that with a good goal from Ronnie Lopez. That's maybe a little bit difficult on Mets to take, um, especially straight in front of the goalkeeper. But they replied as quickly as they could in this in the second half with a very similar goal really from Erding. And from that point on, both sides strangely lifted the game. Um, Ronnie Lopez scored his second, and and from there you think Leo would 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 push on. But I thought the the substitutions from Mets at that week and the weekend. I thought I thought uh, Ismaili Saar and Habib Diallo, who earned both the penalties scored by Erding and and Jufra, really came on and added something to Mets that we we struggled to see in that first half. They added. Uh, an extra dimension to them. They they were willing to run with the ball a little bit more than than we'd seen in the first half, and and advance them a little bit further in into the half, and it earned them the win in the end. And it's it's a great win for them. I mean, we we we're, we're mentioning that Mets are probably the weaker of the three promoted sides on paper, but getting a result against Lille on the opening day will give hopefully do wonders for their confidence. And and heading forward, they they'll be an interesting side to watch. But my worries about Lille about scoring weren't the issue in this game. It was it was the lack of concentration in the defence for, for the two penalties, because they're definitely penalties. Uh, and Yamers for the for the final one, it, you can't really blame a goalkeeper as much for that one, because he has to try and make those challenges and hope the player doesn't reach the ball beforehand. But 
they fell asleep a little bit and they can't afford to do that in the next couple of games. They can't afford a, a, a sloppy start to the season again like they did last season if they want to challenge for Europe again. Uh, Eric, your final game was the, the really interesting one and it was a, a beautiful scene beforehand and during the game of, of the, the white shirts um, in in uh, memory of the, the people we lost in, in Nice this summer and the, and the lovely... Uh, tributes to them and, and the, they're auctioning off the shirts as well in that game to add to charity for that which is a great gesture by both clubs but uh, let's talk about what was a really interesting game with a very very young Nice side. Yeah I, I think it was the game was a little bit low on quality perhaps down to the occasion that both teams were not going to come out as fired up as you necessarily would for a season opener. Um, Ren were probably the better team had, had some good chances striking the uh, striking the woodwork at one point uh, but I think that you know, with this young team, and again, Ricardo Pereira, Maxime Lemarchand still to come back uh, from injury, I, I think that uh, Nice showed a lot of promise and a lot of talent. That the fact that Favre is willing to uh, toss toss the keys to the to these young players, as you will, um, is really impressive. And I think he still maybe needs to to play with his system a little bit more to figure out how to get the best out of uh, Sari and Coziello from open play. Uh, giving them a little bit more, <clears throat> pardon me, free reign uh, seems like it would make make a bit more sense. Uh, but you know, and uh, and Alison Playa was a little bit disappointing uh, in this in the central striker role for me. I th- I thought he, I've tipped him to have a big season, and I, I I think that he's got some work to do. I think that maybe some of what he did last season was the benefit of playing alongside the likes of Germain and uh, and Hatem Ben Arfa. Um, so. A level of cogency and attack, I think, is still escaping Nice, but um, on the whole, a, a really solid defensive effort. Um, Paul Bice uh, was fantastic. Uh, it's not a phrase we've used often in the past, but I, th- I think that now, now that he's posed to be a veteran leader of this team, I think he looks really strong. And the youngster Sara alongside him uh, managed to keep Ren uh, quiet. Clean sheets, you know, definitely going to be a boost in confidence for that back line. And then for Ren, you know, again. Still getting some players back from injuries themselves. I, I think that uh, the likes of Pedro Enrique, Maxer, and Tap are going to help this team uh, grow and move forward. Uh, but uh, you know they've got a home match against Nancy at the weekend, so you know that'll probably be an easier easier result for them. I I still think uh, Ren look look a strong candidate to uh, to finish among the European places this season. Uh, they were probably unlucky to get at least a point uh, at the weekend. But uh, you know, Gorku's the kind of manager who'll be able to take that in stride and and build from uh, what's you know, in contrast, and he's uh, quite a veteran team. Yeah, and credit to Malang Scott Saw, the the young centre back who scored the winner, 17 years old. It must have been a good weekend for him. I've, I hope he went and celebrated that. It was a fantastic to see. And and we finish off the games now with um with uh, um the final game of the weekend, in fact, on Sunday, which was Marseille Toulouse. It probably lived up to the expectations we had didn't it <laughs> yeah I was I, I I made the mistake of, of picking this game as the game of the week on Football Radar's podcast which I say I, I regretted almost immediately as the game kicked off um, it was it was a very drab very dire game and Marseille sort of playing this playing in front of a half full velodrome with the season ticket um, subscription down and it was just a very eerie kind of depressing atmosphere at the velodrome I I, I I feel for some for Marseille fans this season. I think it might not get much better than it did last time around. Even though they've got talent in their team, it it could be it could be worrying for them. But um, it 
I think that the, the closest they came to scoring is Cabela hit the post outside of the foot shot from just inside the area, which which um, which is probably the, the moment of the game. The only thing they really had to shout about. I thought Toulouse looked like the better side for a lot of the a lot of the match, and they came like they looked like they had a game plan. They equipped themselves well. Um, they they did when they had the ball, they used it relatively well going forward. In comparison to their opponents, at least they had those weird corner routines where they'd all stand on the edge of the area and they'd all look like they're doing the Zaza penalty and they'd all sort of run and then split off into different different directions, which was quite interesting. But you can tell that Pascal de Prez, you know, he he's he's got ideas and he's going to put them into practice and and that that will serve him well over the course of the season. Um, and I think that if Toulouse can perform like they did yesterday, they're going to win games in especially at home. So I, I think that. That they could they could be fine this season, but it it was such a it's such a, a poor game in in terms of quality and in terms of excitement that um, Marseille fans would be would be very disappointed with their side. Can they improve based on the based on the the talent they've got in that front six? Um, you'd have to say they should, but that completely new back four looks relatively well, they kept clean sheet, but they you know the people like Doria looked relatively shaky. Sakai's crosses, although he got forward well and he's a willing runner, I don't know that. He's, he's got the quality to, to replace, uh, well, not that JJJ had the quality on crosses either, but whether he's going to be an upgrade on JJJ is, is unlikely. So I think they've got a lot of work to do. Toulouse look look okay. But going ahead, it's going to be interesting for both sides, but I was I was very disappointed in, in performance of both teams. I think the most exciting thing in the game is that Abu Dhabi made it for an hour without getting injured, which was which was a surprise to everybody watching. But I'm, I'm very happy that he's back in, in, in Ligue 1 because when he's a good player... When he's on form, we've barely seen it, but when it happens, he's he's very good. And I thought he had a decent game yesterday, and looked looked like, you know, touch wood, his fitness is is returning. And given the chance on the ball, he was assured and and picked the right pass. So hopefully, he'll be one to watch over the season, um, assuming he can stay fit. So unfortunate for Marseille, I I, I fear for them. But Toulouse, they look good. Yeah, and that might be a sign of the apocalypse. I think DRB is managing our <laughs> football for the first time in what seemed like forever, at least. But yeah, yeah, it was an excellent, excellent weekend of football. We saw plenty of goals, but we we finish this evening with probably the biggest news story of the summer, especially in the transfer window, which was Paul Pogba's world record move to Manchester United. The fee, depending on who you ask, is between about eight to nine million and a hundred million pounds. But Eric, what do you think to the move overall? Yeah, I, I think that. Manchester United, honestly, at this point, really needed to do this. I mean, let's look at the other players who are classed as some of the top players in, in world football. Uh, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, Gareth Bale, Luis Suarez, Neymar, Messi. Are any of those players leaving their teams anytime soon? No. Uh, Manchester United wanted to make a statement of intent and get the best player that was out there, and that's what they did with Pogba. Uh, there's still, obviously, despite a creditable win... Uh, from, from whenever I didn't watch the match, I'm sure you did, Nathan. On on the, at the weekend against Bournemouth, uh, I think there's still some tactical issues to be worked out into exactly how Pogba fits in with the team and relates to relates to his teammates. Um, so you know, going forward from that, we you know there's I think a a, a lot of interest around this player and and deservedly so. You know, I think used correctly and given the right amount of freedom, he can you know. Light the Premier League up in just the same way he's done it in Syria. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting. It was an interesting game in the weekend. Man United were 
good but not great is probably the best way to describe it. But looking at that formation, there's been there's been talk, Adam, of of where he might play. It. It, maybe people were mentioning that maybe Matt or Rooney might have to drop off the side if if he was to play number ten. But where do you see him fitting in it in the first eleven? I, I I think it's pretty clear that Mourinho wants to play that four two three one, and he's he's really still captain, and he's said he's come out and said if Rooney play when well Rooney will play as a as a number ten, a number nine, or a nine and a half, and he won't be playing in midfield. And I don't see Rooney dropping back into that midfield. But the thing with Pogba, I think he prefers to play as he did at Juve in that three five two as part of a three. So whether whether the Rooney ends up having to drop back is is open to debate. I think Mourinho sees him as perhaps the player to play alongside Carrick or Schneiderlin sorry Schneiderlin in uh, in midfield. Um, I think he's the ultimate Mourinho sort of player. He's the ultimate dy- dynamic midfielder with so much talent, so much skill, so much energy, so much power and strength that he's the the perfect Mourinho sort of midfielder. Um, it's interesting how United are lining up with uh, Mkhitaryan hasn't started yet. I think Lingard's been playing out there. He was injured the weekend, and Mata came in ahead of him. And I don't see obviously Pogba's going to play centrally. So, he, but it's just whether Mourinho can mould that team into into what he wants. And I think Pogba has to be central to that. I think he was his. This is Mourinho's doing, as, as well as it being a Man United sort of uh, Ed Woodward style kind of commercial thing. I think this is Mourinho driven. This is the player he wanted. So the team is going to end up being built around Paul Pogba. Um, so I think he'll end up playing in, that, in one of those two in midfield and Mourinho will try and mould him into more like the, the style that he wants but I think it'd be him and Karak, Rooney ahead and then Mkhitaryan, defensive abilities aside he might end up starting one side and then obviously uh, Ibra up front and Martial on the left. Um, a strong French influence though but uh, yeah he'll be important for them this season. Yeah, I, I think I think that's where he will end up in that in that role in the number two. And I think, as you mentioned, Mkhitaryan didn't start the weekend. I think that might have been a slight, uh, clever move for the, for squad wise because we do play on Friday. Well, I say we, I shouldn't really say that. Manchester United <laughs> do, do play on on Friday evening in Southampton, so it may be keeping some in the locker while while still getting the result against South uh, Bournemouth at the weekend. A lot, there's been a lot of discussion, Eric, about the money involved in this transfer. Obviously, it's a it's a world record fee, regardless of how she plays it. Some some people say it's 83 up front. Some people are saying 89. Some people are add, putting on the add-ons, which can add up to 105 in some places, 145 million euros in some places. But we'll, we'll never get the exact fee. But is that is that a lot of money to pay for for um, uh, especially someone who's not going to grab you 30, 40 goals a season? Um, again, I, you know, as Adam just mentioned as well, I think there's more to this than the player's value on the pitch. It's a statement of intent. It's commercial value. It's Manchester United continuing to be, uh, you know, one of the biggest footballing brands in the world, and maybe even apropos to their to their football success. We saw this summer that Pogba's not really entirely comfortable playing in a four-two-three-one, and I think that if Mourinho does want to persist with this, uh. Personally, I have serious doubt. I have serious doubts about that, uh, about his efficacy there. You know, whether he's alongside Schneiderlin or, or Carrick or Fellaini or Herrera, whoever whoever it is that partners him, in, if if he is played as as part of a central midfield partnership, um, I, I think his limitations in that role in, in in terms of knowing when to switch between defending and attacking is are still a little bit suspect. You know, is Mourinho managers capable of of continuing to mold Pogba and continuing to boost his abilities and to get him to be more effective in that role? You know, I, I would I would certainly give him that much credit, but 
uh, for the time being. You know, I, I think that Manchester United could really undergo some a little bit of a, a rocky road in terms of in terms of negotiating this. Yeah, so it's an interesting point you make, Eric. And uh, my my confidence of having him in the two man in that four two three one is we saw with France it was predominantly with Blaise Matuidi next to him. He was also the same kind of player who wants to try and get forward. If he's next to someone like a Carrick or a Schneidlin who's probably more inclined to stay back or even just completely hold that position for him, it will give him more license to move forward and backwards a little bit more freely without the pressures of, of staying back with someone advancing too far ahead of him. And, and the other thing that, that um, was mentioned, I think it was on mention on Monday Night Football earlier tonight, which was Wayne Rooney might even drop into that that the midfield role should Pogba advance in front of him on occasion or if, if in certain games maybe Rooney's tiring a little bit or or Pogba's um, feeling like he's he's on a roll or something like that, that maybe he might move into that area so that might be something interesting to watch but let's talk about more if, to, let's, to finish let's talk maybe a bit more rounded about this there's been talk of the impact on on French football and, and transfers in general because of this um, the worry might be that teams might start trying to, obviously Pogba came originally from Le Havre and, and teams might try and do one better than they do at the moment, which is instead of buying established league on talent, they're going to try and buy very cheap, young league or league de talent that they can probably mould into that style of player and then have that kind of player in their ranks. Adam, is that a worry for French clubs in, in the near future that teams might continue to try and really plunder their, their uh, youth players? I think it is. I, I think because for me, one of the best things about French football is it's a real proving ground. The players come through in both Ligue 1 and Ligue 2, and it's the right atmosphere for them to develop and succeed. There's so much, so much talent in in both divisions that they're given this opportunity. Maybe because players are sold ahead of them, those 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 established names are sold ahead of them, and sort of mid-table to lower Ligue 1 clubs, Ligue 2 clubs don't go out and necessarily sign a replacement. They often promote from within. And it's that perfect atmosphere of the standard of the league. It suits. It's not. It's, it's still one of the best five in Europe, in my opinion. But it's just at the right level for it to be challenging, but to not be overwhelming. And it suits those players coming through and allows them to develop. There's not too much pressure on them, perhaps at certain clubs. And if they get picked off early, then that opportunity disappears for them to play competitive first team football in a good league. If they go to say someone, someone from a league third side is signed at 17 and goes to Chelsea. That, that opportunity for them to develop that real sort of that streetwise kind of uh, aspect to their game, the the, the 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 technique, the pressure they're put under in professional football, that disappears. And the sanitised environment of a Premier League academy perhaps isn't the right place to develop as a footballer. Uh, in 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 terms of what we've seen so far, when you think about the players that have come out, of, especially of Ligue 2 and have moved on to Ligue 1 and moved on from there, I'm not sure that it it helps in one aspect. The whole thing with Pogba being signed by United as the biggest transfer of all time. It, it is good in one respect is that a Frenchman is the most expensive player and possibly one of the most renowned players in the world. That, that's only good for the, the profile of French football, that, that he, he seemed to be this mercurial talent and he's, he's worth this amount of money, whatever United have paid. So on that aspect, it's good. But if it starts encouraging teams to, to, to sort of haul the talent from the lower divisions, it could be a worry looking ahead, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're already seeing that. Look at Lise Mousset, look at Ciro Garassi, uh, look at uh, Aysamandi. I mean, I know Rennes were in Ligue 1 last year, but those are three players off the top of my head. Uh, look at Jean-Philippe Cabaman, 
those are those are part of I think what's an increasingly worrying trend uh, of of teams looking to league dev for for players. You know, before it was oh sort of a novelty. We'll sign a Yasunogo or, or or someone someone of that ilk and and see and see what comes to them. But now. Uh, I, I think in this this transfer window in particular that, that's currently open, we're seeing higher fees being paid. It makes it a lot harder for these league decides to turn things down. I mean, Musse was sold for I believe six and a half, seven million euros. Uh, no, no team in Ligue 1 spent that much on a single player outside of uh, outside of Monaco and PSG, uh, with the exception of Marseille's uh, purchase of Remy Cabela. Uh, so what you're doing by by injecting that sort of money into league does you're completely passing bypassing uh, league league on teams. And whereas you might have a player like say Kevin Gamero uh, coming from Strasbourg to Lorient, having a couple seasons of success there, uh, getting them knocking at the door of Europe and established league on a team, and then Lorient selling him on for a profit. Uh, now you know today's Kevin Gamero, you know whoever that would be, uh, if it's Lise Mousset, uh for example, you know, there's going to be no benefit to Liga, and I think that that has a knock-on effect of lowering the overall quality in the division, uh, and that that manifests itself, I think, further uh, in the way that the, the the league's coefficients negatively affected in Europe. Uh, if you have a lower overall standard of play in the league uh, due to a, a, a talent drain, uh, then the teams that are going to get into Europe are going to be of lower quality, uh, and the league's coefficient is going to suffer. And, you know, that in turn reduces the money available to the league through the TV rights, the Champions League, et cetera, et cetera. And, and this could potentially have a really del deleterious effect. I mean, let's look at the example of, say, uh, the Netherlands, uh, you know, where they were 10 years ago with PSG and Ajax essentially in the knockout rounds. And now we see, you know, how many players are being brought in from the Dutch league to England and, and to Serie A and to to other leagues around the world, uh, the Dutch league has firmly a reputation now as a quote-unquote feeder league. Um, and, you know, will there, the Dutch the Dutch teams continue to produce exciting young attacking talents? Um, the overall level of quality of play in that league is, has declined. And now that now the Dutch uh, league only has one-and-a-half Champions League spots, whereas before it had more than that, they were one of the definitively the top six or seven leagues in the world. You know, if... If France, if clubs in France can, can't take a holistic look at this, uh, it's it's a really really dangerous precedent. I think we have to really be, take a long hard look at uh, what the potential ramifications for for moves like the ones I just mentioned, Mousset, Gabaman, um, Girassi, uh, how that could really affect the league down the road. Yeah, and the great successes of Riyad Mahrez and the likes of Angolo Kante would have helped feed that extra machine of, of you can get players on the cheap from, from areas in France and, and add to your team but it's a, it's, a, it's a major issue that unfortunately we can do nothing about but we'll, we'll finish on, on a slightly negative note unfortunately but that's all from us this week. My thanks to Eric, Adam and all of you listening at home. Uh, take heart though everyone that lost this weekend there are still 37 weeks to get everything right if your team can uh, we shall see you same time next week. Aviento. Anfield.